0: Hello, and happy Saturday, or whenever it is, to all of you listeners and lovers of cartoons. Welcome to Kelby's Cartoon Corner, the show where we discuss all the best cartoons, from 90s Nicktoons to current adult animation. And by we, I mean me, Kelby, alone in my bedroom, not in the living room anymore, so I don't have to kick my roommate out of the house every time that I record. So if it is Saturday when you're listening, I hope you have some comfy pants and maybe a snack or four. I mean, regardless of what day it is, I hope you have comfy pants and snacks, but you know, especially if it's Saturday. But no matter what day it is, get comfy, grab a snack, and let's talk about cartoons. Hey, everybody. Before we get into this, I just wanted to say that at the time of recording, we're roughly 48 hours out from the original creators of the show announcing that they're leaving the Netflix live adaptation, and I have to say that I'm kind of sad that they felt like they had to leave, and it makes me worried that we're going to get more of the movie, just like whitewashed cast everything wrong it it makes me nervous only time will tell but for now we can relive the greatness of the original animated show it's still on Netflix and I think now is the time that we need to be watching it I think we need to show Netflix that this is what we want we want the original story intact and we want it done right so anyway I just wanted to give my thoughts on that whole thing before we get started I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that you're all watching this masterpiece of animation on Netflix so with that out of the way let's get started (laughs) But I I assume that you all know the, like, intro of the show, so I don't feel like I need to do it. Avatar The Last Airbender has been a huge success on Netflix since it dropped back in June. I assume everybody listening to this has at least a passing knowledge of this show. I hope you do, at least, because this is seriously one of the best animated shows of the 2000s and, in general, just one of the best animated shows. Avatar The Last Airbender debuted on Nick back in 2005, and actually, this is one of the only shows that I've covered so far that I remember exactly where I was when the first episode of this aired. I was at my grandparents' house, and all of my cousins from Georgia were there with me, and I remember, because that's all that we talked about all day long, was this new show that was going to premiere on Nick that night, and we knew we were going to be at our grandparents' house, and we were kind of, like, miffed about that, because we were, like, eight, and, you know, we didn't want to be there, but at least if we were there, we could watch this cool new cartoon that was supposed to be coming on. So... I remember being in love with the world and the characters from the very beginning. I watched every episode of Book One faithfully every week when they aired, except for the episode where they meet Jong Jong because I can never seem to remember that that episode happened so early. like I always just assume that it happens at the end of Book One, but it happens like I think it, within the first like ten or fifteen episodes it happens way early, but I missed that episode when it first aired, but you know otherwise, I watched every episode faithfully whenever it was on. Um, I remember kind of watching book two. I think I watched long enough to meet Toph and then I kind of like stopped watching. Don't remember why just remember that when I came back in there were a bunch of new characters and a bunch of stuff had gone down and I don't remember what happened Uh, because the next episode I remember watching was from book three leading up to the finale so I don't know if I just like blacked out for six months or if I fell off from watching the show entirely because like when I came back in I was watching book three and I had no idea who Azula was Aang had hair and he had apparently died like there was just a lot of stuff that had happened like in the time that I hadn't been watching and I missed huge chunks of plot but I was able to kind of piece together what had been happening I missed the entire Bossing say arc I had no idea what was happening Zuko was suddenly good you know Aang has hair it was just weird to like jump in like I met Toph and then the next episode I remember is like Aang waking up after they had stolen the Fire Nation ship like I didn't see him get struck by lightning I didn't see any of that I was just like who are all these people it was weird On more recent watches, I've seen the show in its entirety many times. Actually, this most recent time, uh, my roommate and I are watching it together because we're going to finally watch Korra the entire way through, not just the first three episodes and then stop, because that seems to be as far as we can get, but we're going to actually watch the whole thing. And everything made me super emotional this watch through, and I have no idea why. Like, I... Just everything. Everything made me emotional. Like, not everything made me sob, but, like, everything made me, like, at least tear and it was, it was, like, I was not prepared, I didn't, like, the Zuko alone episode, like, when he goes into the city, not, like, the episode, not, like, the whole episode, but, like, the very end, when he's, he saves the town from, like, the soldiers that are bullying everybody into, like, giving them all the food and the rations and whatever, and then Zuko stands up to the, uh, you know, he stands up to the soldiers and they skedaddle out of the town, and then he, like, tells everybody that he's from the fire nation the people are like mmm okay well we don't care who you are then like bye skirt skirt get out of here like I don't know why but like that made me sob and like you know eh. (laughs) yeah this is the show that I've been a huge fan of and super involved in for the biggest portion of my life I've recently started collecting the comics I own the box set When we first moved into our apartment, we had the... uh, I have, like, a cloth flag of the Four Nations that we had in a frame that was hanging in the living room. And I have a map of the Four Nations that is... It's currently in my bedroom. It's not hanging. It's just, like, in the frame, chilling in here. But, you know, we decorated very nerd-like when we first moved in. And still kind of, but less so. Uh, But this is the like the fandom that I've been involved in for the longest portion of my life um, I'm reading the Kiyoshi book that was published back in 2018 and I plan to read the sequel that just came out um, I haven't made it all the way through the book yet but I, I'm working on it I still haven't seen Korra yet but you know I, I, we're planning to watch it because it's coming to Netflix and then I don't have to worry about switching out the DVDs because I have the box set but it's much easier to watch it on Netflix the only other series that I've been involved in for longer is Digimon but that's that's for a different time Because this show has been on for so long and it's currently on Netflix in the US, I'm assuming that you don't need a full overview of the show. Um, I've said it before that lots of other people do that kind of stuff way better than I ever could. So, I'm, you know, we're going to let them do it better than me. Uh, So, instead, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite elements of the show, which is the whole, like, you know, that's the whole thing of this podcast is just me talking about my favorite parts of shows and my favorite episodes and stuff like that. Uh, So here's how this is going to work. I have a selection of Avatar-related Tumblr posts pulled up on my phone. I'm going to read that post and give my thoughts. And then when I'm done, I'm going to tweet those posts out because I want to give credit to the... These are not my ideas. I want to give credit to the original people that posted these. I'm just reading them because I think that they're interesting and something that I could talk about for a while. Am I talking really fast? I feel like I'm talking really fast. I had a lot of coffee before we started this. So I am ready to go. I hope, that, I hope that y'all are listening and can like make sense. I'm trying to like, take deep breaths and slow down, but I may just be talking fast for most of this podcast and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay, I have a selection of Tumblr posts. I'm gonna read them and then I'm gonna tweet them because I want to give credit to the original people that posted these Tumblr posts because they're not mine. And then I'm gonna give my thoughts on that post I only have a handful that I think are going to be something that I'm going to be able to talk about and make it something that somebody would want to listen to. I'll toss in some of my favorite Iroh-isms, quotes by Iroh, tidbits of wisdom, stuff like that, and then we'll finish with some brief thoughts about the finale. In my head, this episode is going to be roughly 45 minutes, so we'll see how we do with that. I don't have any Tumblr posts or anything from really early on, so I'll start with one of the things that I really love about this show. Really early, when Aang takes Katara and Sokka to the Southern Air Temple, and he finds that all the monks have been slain, he triggers the Avatar state, and Katara is able to calm him down by talking to him, and one of the things that she says is, uh, Sokka and I, we're your family now, and I love that. Uh, that isn't something that is exclusive to this show it's just an element that I really love about it they established that really early on and it's a theme through the rest of the show This is a little bit off topic, but one of the uh, non-animated, non-cartoon shows that I watch is Supernatural, and there's an episode where Bobby says, Family doesn't end in blood, and that's seriously one of my favorite quotes of any TV show ever, because I think it's, it's so true. We don't choose the family that we're born into, but we can build our own family, and it can be whatever we want it to be. At this point, all of my friends are family, and we have family that isn't blood, but they may as well be. Family is whatever and whoever you choose, and I love that they made that an element of this show. It's just, it makes, the show is so great, and this is one of the reasons. So, one of the first, the first Tumblr posts that I'm going to talk about uh, takes place during book two. So, we, we jumped from like, the first four or five episodes all the way into book two. Like, we've already met Toph. We're in the desert. We're in the library. And the Tumblr post is a picture of wan Shi Tong, he who knows 10,000 things. That's what I was trying to say. He's the knowledge spirit. And he has this library that's in the middle of the desert. They go to find it. Again, I'm assuming you've seen the show. You know what's going on. Um, but they... This is after he finds them looking for information on the Fire Nation Sokka is looking to see if they can figure out uh, a way that they can get the upper hand during the war Uh, and the quote is you think you're the first person to believe that their war was justified, countless others have come here before you seeking weapons or weaknesses or battle strategies and then the poster of, poster? The like person who posted this thought originally is needlessly defiant with T and bless, I think that's a really clever name uh says this is one of the truly brilliant things about this show while most kids shows have a good versus evil conflict avatar has a war a real war between people with all the moral grayness and points of view made clear the fire nation is an evil it's a repressed country under strict control of its ruler and we're shown how history is altered and propaganda is taught as fact so that the people grow up molded to hate all the other nations then we get lines like this, which make us stop and think wait, is what the other nations are doing really right? Because Bossing Say was supposed to be a haven, but it turned out to be repressive and full of lies. In this case, we know that Aang is justified and we trust him to do what's right because he has such high moral standards. And then we go into the finale and all that is challenged again. So, okay, here's that was the full Tumblr post. I'll tweet that out so that y'all can see it. Uh, and then we'll come back in to. This may be a little bit rough because I'm gonna have to, I'm like clicking all over the place and like trying to find these posts so I apologize this might be this episode might be a little bit rough but I have in my head what I want it to be and this is the way that I want it to be structured so just bear with me for a little bit. Yeah yeah you think you're the first person to believe that their war was justified. We don't encounter too many actual spirits through the series but Wan Chi Tong is my favorite. First I love that name first of all and it means he who knows ten thousand things and I think that's really clever I like that a lot Um, I love this quote but it also kind of makes me think when did Aang really start to think about his strategy against Ozai I wonder if in the back of his head he knew that he would probably have to kill him or if he was trying to figure out a way to defeat him without killing him from the very beginning I don't know when that started to be like a conflict for Aang Another thing that I love about this is the fact that from the beginning, Aang is fighting for the fact that not all firebenders are bad. The nation as a whole has been led astray by... Sozen and then his family after him but most of them are just following orders or they really believe that what they're doing is the right thing and we see this through zuko's eyes in the episode zuko alone where he goes to the village being bullied by the soldiers i've talked about this already uh he stays and he helps a family you know he repairs their roof he teaches their son about swords maybe not something that you want your son to be learning because this kid seems like he's maybe seven or eight probably not something that you want your kid to be learning but it's it's showing growth on Zuko's part that he's taking the time to teach somebody about something. It's more supposed to be focused about Zuko, but I still, I like that aspect of it. And then he eventually saves the town from the guys who are terrorizing everybody, but then as soon as he says, you know, they ask him who he is, and he says, I'm Zuko of the Fire Nation, you know, I'm the prince, whatever, and then, like, the entire town just turns their back on him, and it's like, they don't even care that he just did all these great things. Like, he did all these good things and they don't care about that at all. All they care about is the fact that he's Fire Nation. And then we see it again in the episode where Zuko finally stands up to Ozai and he says that he's gonna be joining the Avatar like to take him down and whatever. And he says, we were told that the war was our way of sharing our greatness with the world but the world doesn't love us, they hate us. And he he can speak from experience on that because he's experienced that level of hatred like they didn't care at all. That's okay. That's the thing that made me cry is like, they don't care. Like they didn't care that he did all these good things. As soon as he said he was Fire Nation, it's like none of that stuff mattered. All they see is the nation that he's from. Like they don't care about him as a person. They don't care about all the good things that he did. They just, they see Fire Nation and they immediately think bad, evil, which, you know, there's been a hundred years of conditioning to think that way. So, I mean, I don't blame them. I'm just saying that that story is supposed to be told from Zuko's point of view, and it hit me this time. Aang mentioned several times through the show that he had friends from all over the world, including the Fire Nation. In the episode, The Blue Spirit, when Zuko saves him, uh, Zuko wakes up in the forest with Aang, who asks, asks if he thinks that they could have been friends under different circumstances when, uh, in the finale, like the very beginning, when Katara finds the picture of Ozai as a baby, they all have trouble believing that he was ever anything other than this, like, evil, awful man. Uh, They have trouble believing that they're, like, underneath all that, he's a real person with real emotions, and I like that the show touches on that, and it, you know, it doesn't shy away from doing things like that. I think seeing this kind of moral gray area in shows is something that doesn't get brought up enough. The fact that Aang seems to be the only person worried about the moral consequences of taking someone's life. Like, regardless of who they are, he's the only one that seems to be worried about that. And, you know, for for good reason, because one, he's the Avatar, and two, he's the only one out of them that was raised as a monk and raised to value life. And it's not like the other ones don't value life, you know, but, like, Aang takes it to the point where he's a vegetarian because he doesn't want to harm any animals and, like, there's all this, like, you know, just all that creates conflict within the group and within Aang, you know, because he's the avatar but he's also a monk and he's trying to figure out what is right and what's wrong and it's not like he really has any, you know, he's the last airbender, he doesn't have any monks or anybody to talk to so he just has to, like, figure it out on his own and it's very, like, frustrating and overwhelming to be 12 and trying to deal with stuff like that. but. I think I love it when kids' shows don't shy away from doing stuff like that, and I think Avatar does it very well, and I think it's something, especially like that scene with the knowledge spirit, I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. A lot of the shows that I watch tend to be the same style, not the same animation style necessarily, but the same kind of basic formula. A young kid has to save the world by dealing with things outside of their control that they are in no way emotionally mature enough to be dealing with. A lot of shows that I watch, or at least a lot of my favorite shows that I get really invested in, kind of follow that same format. Uh, Steven Universe, Digimon, Danny Phantom, I would argue Code Lyoko, and definitely Avatar. It just kind of makes me stop and think how I would handle those kinds of situations. Not that I would ever be put in a situation where, like, it's on my shoulders to save the world or something like that. Just, you know, something to think about. I think about how I would handle that situation, or would have handled that situation, being the same age as the characters in the show, Just to imagine being responsible for the fate of the world after finding out that you've basically been dead for a 100 years, everyone that you've ever known and loved is dead, and it's basically all your fault because you were a child who was not ready for the burden of like all of this responsibility to be given to you. I can't imagine having to make the choices that the characters in this show had to make at such a young age. I couldn't make choices like that now at 25. I can't imagine being 12 or 13. Like I, ha- I was in no way ready to make those kind of decisions, being as young as the kids in the show were. And again, I'll I'll tweet this out when I get done. Uh, This is a caption under a photo of Aang. And he's got hair, so it's got to be sometime... Like, he's got to be in the Earth Kingdom or something. I don't remember when this takes place. I can never remember when this happens. But anyway, a fun reminder that Aang was a terrifyingly powerful avatar. Most avatars are informed of their newfound destinies at the age of 16 to begin their training, but because of the approaching war, Aang was told of his status at the age of 12. He'd already mastered airbending, and in the span of a year, which, asterisk, I would would argue less than a year. Like, literally, I think when they found him in the iceberg, it was like late winter, maybe early spring, and by the time, I mean, they had until the summer solstice when the comet was coming to... Uh, to defeat Sozin so like less than a year like months we're talking maybe six months this kid who is 12 who I mean technically by the law of the land shouldn't even have been told that he was the avatar yet has already mastered the other three elements the avatar state and energy bending so I'm just I'm putting that out there less than a year asterisk back in He also learned lightning redirection and seismic sense, a technique that no other Avatar had ever encountered in the span of a year. And again, asterisk, less than a year, probably more like six months. This child was a terrifying force of nature, and yet he preferred to make people laugh. So just, you know, a reminder about that. Aang was told that he was the Avatar at age 12, and usually the Avatar isn't made aware that they're the Avatar until they're 16. Um, They were afraid that there was a war coming, and they were right, there was a war coming, but... Couldn't do anything about it because Aang ran away. Aang was not emotionally ready for this kind of news, so he ran away. Could he have prevented the war? Maybe. He was already an airbending master by the time he was 12. The youngest bender to ever do so, by the way. He would have had four years, maybe, to master the other three elements, so maybe he could have stopped the war, but we can't make guesses about that. Like, there's literally an entire episode dedicated to Aang wrestling with the fact that he ran away and, like, disappointed the world. We don't need to be thinking about all that. But, you know, maybe he could have stopped it. We just don't know. What we do know is that in less than a year, he mastered three elements, the avatar state, and he encountered seismic sense and learned about energy bending. Energy bending, I think maybe previous avatars had encountered, but I don't think any of them had used it in the way that he used it. So while he had all this immense power and he could have very easily overwhelmed and defeated Ozai by force, he didn't. He chose to simply take away his bending, which is honestly a much more hardcore thing, in my opinion. Like, Aang could have just taken him out, and that would have been that. But instead, he took away his bending, and now Ozai is left to basically rot in a prison cell. There's a quote from a Steven Universe future episode that I love, and I I like to, you know I like to insert Steven Universe whenever I can, but this is actually it's very appropriate. Uh, Lapis, Lasly, and Steven go to talk to some other Lapis about coming to Earth and joining Little Homeschool because they're terraforming a planet. They're not supposed to be because Steven had established peace and disbanded the Diamond Empire. This is future. Here we go they won't listen they're like oh no it's okay like they're not doing it because they feel like they have to they're doing it because they want to and steven's like mm, well that's kind of the whole point of like me like you don't have to do th- like don't that's that's what i'm saying i'm telling you don't but i'm saying it nicely but whatever they're not listening so finally uh lapis lazuli gets fed up and she uh, like sucks all the water out of the planet and she turns into a giant water monster thing very reminiscent of the water monster that ang turned into when he went into the avatar state when they were fighting at the north pole just like good connection um and she like gets ready to like put the smack down on these lapis but then she turns around and she looks and she sees steven and she's like oh you know what Mm, Nah, this is not this is not who i am anymore so uh she comes you know she like disbands like let's go of all the water or whatever she comes down and then then the other lapis are ready to listen to her because she's just shown this like immense physical strength and she says this quote that i i i appreciate she says that wasn't strength that was weakness Resi- restraint takes strength patience takes strength i think the final battle with Ozai best embodies that real strength that Aang possesses he was in the avatar state ready to take Ozai out but he gained control and he was like no this is not how we're going to handle it there's a better way to do this and like what a legacy to leave for your family and for the monks that came before you and all the like pre- you know all your previous lives as the avatar like what what an incredible legacy to leave Aang had every reason to be upset and to want to take revenge on Ozai and the entire Fire Nation, honestly. They slaughtered his people, they killed his friends. Zuko, until the last few episodes, was hunting them down at every turn. And Aang did get angry, he did lose control. In fact, really early on, that's the only way that he's able to trigger the Avatar state is by being really angry or really upset. But he never acted out in rage, except when they stole, when they lost Appa. But again, I he would have been justified in my eyes he would have been justified to be angry at any point during the series he had every reason to be to be angry he woke up a hundred years in the future everything he knows has changed like everything is different like he would have had every reason to be upset and angry but he he had incredible uh patience and like control over his emotions for being for being 12 especially but you know he was a monk so that kind of comes with the territory yeah he would have been justified being angry at any point during the series because his life has been personally affected by everything that's going on but also because he's the avatar and like this is you know it's his duty to keep balance and it's not there's no balance it's all gone so I think he had reason to be angry and I think the world would have still hailed him as a great avatar if he had killed Ozai Um, his own family and all of his friends his own past lives were all telling him that the only way to fix this was by killing him but he knew that for himself and for his own well-being, his own, like, morality, that wasn't the legacy that he wanted to leave. And I think that show of strength is what makes Aang one of, if thee not, if, if thee not. Hello? <laughs> I think that show of strength is what makes Aang one of, if not the greatest Avatar of all time in the canon of, you know, the Avatar universe. The next Tumblr post I have is actually two separate Tumblr posts that are kind of the same. They kind of talk about the same thing uh but i'm not uh, that first of all one of them is incredibly long so i'm not going to read it i'm just going to tweet it and i'm going to let you read it for yourself but then the other one talks about the lightning scars that both of both Aang and zuko have towards the like by the end of the show they both have scars Aang and zuko serve as the yin yang of the series which is one entire tumblr post that's what it talks about uh And I feel like this is best represented by the lightning scars that they both have. Aang's is on his back, where Azula shot him with lightning when he was in the Avatar state. And then uh, Zuko's is on his chest, because he took a lightning bolt for Katara at the very end. Both are inflicted by Azula. Aang is on his back. To Aang's scar is on his back to signify him running from his past and a destiny that he didn't want and Zuko's is on his chest to signify him running towards a destiny that's forced on him but also a destiny that he believes is going to make him happy and it doesn't uh he spends so long chasing Aang thinking that if he can just capture him it's going to restore his honor and so he can finally come home and then it he does and it's not what he expected at all and he feels worse being home than he did when he was banished. So that's just uh, I'll tweet the the Tumblr post talking about the yin yang and then I'll tweet the other one talking about the lightning scars cuz I think that's I just, I just think that's neat. That's pretty much the only reason that I included this in here. I think that's neat. Alrighty, I have one more Tumblr post, but I'm gonna save that until I talk about the finale because it deals very heavily with stuff from that. And I said that, yeah, I was gonna, I'm gonna tweet all that. I'm also gonna put them on the Facebook page. So if Facebook is something that's more easily accessible for you than Twitter, uh, go like. Kelby's cartoon corner also on Facebook now because I made a Facebook page this week. We're very excited. but I will post all of these Tumblr posts to the respective uh social media outlets as soon as this episode goes up. I'm not gonna tweet them now because then like as I'm recording because then you're gonna see them and be like, what what's happening? So I'm gonna wait until this episode goes live. Then I will tweet the Tumblr posts so that y'all can see and I can give credit to the original people that posted them. So now we're moving on into the Iro portion, and I again I feel like I was talking really fast through that entire thing. So I'm gonna try to really slow down and talk about Iro because, like Iro would not be hyped up on a bunch of coffee, trying to just like spew wisdom. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take some deep breaths. And we're gonna try to talk very calmly about Iro, which is gonna be like a complete departure from like every other (laughs) because I feel like every other episode I'm just talking fast and very passionately about everything that's happening in these shows so we're going to try to talk slowly and calmly about Iroh (laughs) so here we go I think almost everybody's favorite character in the show is Iroh maybe not your absolute like top tier favorite character but I think he's up there on everybody's list Iroh gives me the same kind of vibe as Mr. Rogers just gentle and kind full of wisdom but not pushy about it There's something really soothing about having a really wise and calm male character in TV shows, in kids shows, but in media in general. It's a departure from the loud, muscular, hyper-masculine versions of men that are portrayed in media. It's nice to have someone that you know is super, super strong, like Iroh, but they don't always use that physical strength. And Aang is the same way. He's wise beyond his years, but there's something really special about Iroh. Um, he's been through stuff he's suffered great loss and after all of that he leaves his country with his nephew to be the best father figure that he can be for someone who's young and confused and again we know that he's strong we see it later on Iroh is a very capable bender but he would much prefer to play paisho and drink tea so I, I I appreciate that I appreciate someone who is calm and wise and but also very capable of like defending themselves and others in times of need I think everyone kind of aspires to be like Iroh in a way, Um, in patience, in wisdom, in knowledge of tea and board games, you know, whatever it is. A lot of Iroh's tidbits of wisdom hit me differently depending on where I am in my personal life when I watch the show. One of my favorites is sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. There's honestly something so simple and good about sharing something, a meal, a drink, board games, whatever it is, with people. I love the simple exchange of stories back and forth. My great grandpa is 100 years old and still fully mentally present, and I love listening to him talk about his life. Uh, He lived through the depression, he worked at General Motors for lots of years. I also work in a factory environment and I love to hear his stories about working in a factory back in the 50s and 60s. Just hearing how different things like safety have changed in a really, you know, a relatively short amount of time. Um, And I love, you know, stuff like that because that's something I can personally relate to and I can, you know, I can input stuff into that conversation. But we also have a family friend who loves to garden and is obsessed with cars. Two things that I'm pretty indifferent about, but I could also sit and talk with him for like hours. I love the simple exchange of stories back and forth. I think that's kind of part of the reason that I started a podcast. One, I love to talk. But also (laughs) I love to you know, if I can convince somebody out there to watch a show that I also enjoy, I'm searching for my people. Okay, I don't have anybody in my life that loves cartoons the same way that I do. And this is my way of like putting myself out there into the ether to like find my people. Because I know that they're out there. I know they exist. I just, I don't have anybody personally right now to like talk about how much like you know Madison loves Steven Universe but not in the same way that I do like she's not up at night reading the fanfic and like researching the cast like she's you know she's not into it the same way that I am and I need people in my life that are into things the same way that I am so that's what that's what I'm doing this is that's why I do this (laughs) another one of my favorite things that I do uh is list one of my favorite things oh okay I said that wrong hold on Another one of my favorite things to do is listen to stories from StoryCorps. um, I follow their Facebook page. I think I follow them on Twitter. They have people interview other people. It could be a neighbor. It could be a family friend, you know, whatever it is. And I feel so connected to these strangers just by hearing their stories. There's so many good stories. Uh, go check the Facebook page. I don't think I'm going to be able to tweet them, but I will share a couple of my favorite StoryCorps interviews on Facebook so that you can kind of get a taste of what it's like. It's just, I don't know, there's something so human about exchanging stories, and I I live for it. I'm, I love it. Another kind of casual Iroh quote that hits me a little bit differently depending on where I am comes from the episode where Zuko and Iroh move to Bossing Sing Se. Zuko says that he doesn't want to make a life in the Earth Kingdom and Iroh says life happens wherever you are whether you make it or not and this is a statement that I think is kind of underrated it it kind of coincides with a later quote where Iroh says there's nothing wrong with a life of peace and prosperity because Zuko thinks that he has this grand purpose in his life and he does don't get me wrong but he doesn't want to settle for anything outside of what he thinks is his destiny he doesn't want any detours on his journey and I think at this point Iroh is trying to convince Zuko to really think about what he wants from his life because later Iroh asks Zuko what he wants and Zuko says I want my destiny and Iroh says what that means is up to you and then that leads into the big scene where Zuko finds Appa under Lake Laogai and Iroh confronts him about making his own choices about his destiny and he says is it your own destiny or is it a destiny that someone has tried to force on you and mm, love it I love when kids' shows deal with heavy issues like this without trying to simplify it for a young audience. I think the target demographic for Avatar was maybe a little bit older, like maybe 10 to 12 year olds, because I think I was maybe 10 or like 9 something like that when it first came on. But still the gray area of the war going on and the show treating all parties like people with feelings. Zuko having to take control of his life. But not just that like he makes the decision to join Aang but then he doesn't just disappear in the middle of the night he goes to confront his dad about everything that's happened to him. And that's one of my favorite things about this show is that it's not afraid to hit on heavy subjects like this. Actually, something I just realized is the first three shows of season two of this podcast are all shows that do this kind of thing very, very well. Steven Universe does an excellent job at dealing with issues of sexuality and abuse and accepting yourself as who you are um, without being in your face about it or super pushy. It does it through very like calm and like inspiring very great musical numbers it does it very very well Um, Avatar does a great job at dealing with issues of morality and destiny and it's up to you to decide what that means no one can make that choice for you and then the next show that I'm going to talk about Hey Arnold deals with very slice-of-life kid problems but it handles them in a really mature and you know a real way and I appreciate that three different generations of kids have grown up learning good powerful messages from three excellent cartoons Late 90s and early 2000s kids, hey, were, you know, they were the Hey Arnold generation. And honestly, that was super appropriate for the time. We were not ready for something like Steven Universe in 1996. I wish we had been, but we were not. We needed a slice of life cartoon about a regular kid doing regular kid stuff. 2000s kids got Avatar, and honestly, I was right in between Hey Arnold and Avatar. I remember both of them being on cable when I was growing up, and I loved both of them. 2010's kids got Steven and what a perfect time it was for a show like Steven to have been on also I just recently found out that Rebecca Sugar was 26 when Steven started like I'm 25 she was a year older than I am now when she made one of the most revolutionary pieces of children's media of the last decade I just can't I can't imagine that that's so crazy but bless because I love Steven and I love that I think the time was right for a show like that to exist and like what a great show it was just every i can't say enough good things about this show i love it so much so okay that was a little side tangent i just had to say that because it was a connection that like all three of these shows that i'm covering deal with like hard-hitting emotional issues for like a, a kid audience and i, I love that Okay, so originally, circling back, I was talking about life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not, and that's kind of along the same lines as family doesn't end with blood. You have the power to make your life whatever you want it to be. That's kind of a big theme of this show. We can't control what's happened to us in the past. We may be responsible for something that we had no direct involvement in, but how we choose to handle that is totally up to us ang can't go back and change the past but he has the power to shape the future and the same with zuko he can't undo the last hundred years of suffering that have been inflicted on the world by his family but he has a big role in the healing process and that's one of the elements of this show that i'd never really seen until this most recent watch through an Iroh quote that I never see listed on like any official list or anything like that is from the tales of Bossing. Say when he helps the mugger uh, they sit down and have tea and Iroh tells him that he thinks that he could be a good masseur and the man says that he's never had anybody believe in him before and Iroh says "Well, it is always best to believe in oneself a little help from others can be a great blessing and that's some like really solid Iroh advice that I don't think gets talked about I don't really have any more to elaborate on that. I just wanted to put that out there in the world. I think that's a really solid piece of advice and we should all listen to Iroh So, a little side tangent while I'm talking, we're just like full of tangents this this week. <laughs> this is a fun episode. Uh so a little side tangent while I'm talking about bossing say, I have no idea what came over me. It was like real late at night. I must have just been in the mood to cry or whatever because I watched the uh, Tales of bossing say episode, not the full episode, just the, like, the tale of Iro. I hope you all can't hear me, like, tapping on the table because I'm not, like, I'm not trying to make that noise. But I was just, you know, scrolling through. I was watching. I, I think I was just trying to get to Leaves from the Vine because I think I was just trying to, like, trigger emotion. I just needed to cry for some reason. So that's what I was trying to do. And I knew that that was going to do it. But I was scrolling through the comments, and I stumbled across something that is really great, and now every subsequent time that I watch this episode, I can't not think about this quote. So, uh, this quote, this comment, sorry, is by Killian Duggan? Duggan? I hope that I'm saying that right. I just wanted to include this because it hit me really hard that night that I was reading it. Quote, The truest measure of Iroh's kindness is that on the way to mourn his son, he took the time to help the children of the people who killed him. End quote. Just like, wow, man, because that's yeah, it's so true. And now every time I watch that episode, I think of that. I just can't I can't not think of that now that I've read that quote. The last really great IROism that I'll share is a little bit of wisdom that he gives Toph when they find each other. Um, and I love it because it's something that I personally need to work on. He says, there's nothing wrong with letting people who love you help you, and he's telling Toph that because she's used to everyone seeing her as this helpless little blind girl that's, like, incapable of doing anything for herself, but actually, she can take care of herself, she's one of the most capable capable earthbenders in the series, she invented a new bending technique, like, no one is doubting her physical strength. Um, But personally, I tend to be the kind of person where if I'm going through something, I just shut down completely. Sometimes it's just easier for me to process stuff if I'm alone, but most of the time, I feel like it's more of a hassle to explain what I need or to ask somebody for help than it's really worth. So I shut down and seclude myself for varying amounts of time until I feel like I'm okay again. But this quote is something I feel like I constantly need to be reminding myself of. And I think it's a good reminder to everybody. Like, it's good to be independent and do your own stuff and live your own life. But also, any kind of relationship relationship is a cycle of give and take and that's something that I think all of us need to be reminded of every now and then. All right, so we're in we're we're at the end. The very last thing that I have to talk about is the finale. Oh, okay. But before I do that, I had no place to insert this, but I did want to talk about it just very briefly. Um why does everybody hate the episode The Great Divide? I genuinely do not understand. Like I know it's not like a great episode. It's kind of a filler episode because nothing really happens, but like everybody hates on this episode. Like, the cast hates this episode. Like, I think the fandom in general just hates this episode, and I don't understand why. It's, like, it's a fun episode. It's a fun one-off. Again, I know it's filler, but I still think it's a good episode, so I just, I'm curious about if anybody else actually likes that episode, because I feel like I'm alone in that. All right, so... It's time for the finale, are y'all ready? It's four parts. I'm not gonna do the same way that I did Danny Phantom where I try to give you like an overview of the whole finale and then I spend 20 minutes talking about it. That's not what we're doing, we don't have that kind of time. I just wanna hit on a few things. Firstly, by the time the finale happens, I assume that Zuko has only been with the group for a few weeks. Like, there's no, there's never really a clear, like, delineation of, like, how much time has passed, so I have no idea. But I assume it's only been a few weeks, maybe a month. But I love how seamlessly he fits in with everybody. If you just jumped around and only watched a handful of episodes and somehow missed the few episodes where Zuko was trying to prove to everybody that he was good, I feel like you would never know that Zuko had ever been outside of this group. Once everybody goes on their little field trip with him and they all individually accept him as like being good, uh that's it. That's the end of it. Like he's just he's part of the family now and I love that. So the beginning of the finale is very relaxed. They're all just a bunch of friends hanging out on the beach doing whatever until the end of like the very end of the first part when Zuko reveals his father's plans he basically is like getting ready to set the world on fire with the comet coming and he's going to be super powerful and he's basically going to go torch the earth kingdom so Aang goes off on his own to meditate on how to stop Ozai without killing him and he ends up hearing the call of a lion turtle I'm not really sure how that works like maybe the avatar is more in tune with lion turtles than other people but I really don't know but this is the, ver- the last Tumblr post that I have that I want to share because it's another thing that I just realized on this most recent watch-through. However, it requires you to know a little bit more lore about the Avatar world outside of what is explained in the show. So this is all stuff that's explained in the comics, but I also want to shout out uh, Channel Frederator, their timeline video on YouTube because I wouldn't have known about the con- this stuff without that and also movie flame on youtube who put out videos uh talking about some of the deeper avatar lore than what's because like i have the comics but i only have like three of them and they're like jumping around in the story so i don't have the full like all-encompassing view of what's happening also there's some sort of emergency vehicle going on outside and i don't know if y'all can hear it but i hope you can't (laughs) i don't know what's happening so basically before humans ever existed there were always two spirits at odds with each other Rava the spirit of light and Vatu the spirit of darkness once every 10,000 years the planets align in a way that amplifies spiritual energy on earth and this is called the harmonic convergence during the harmonic convergence Rava and Vatu engage in a battle that determines the fate of the world for the next 10,000 years until the next harmonic convergence so like 20,000 years before Ang was born uh Vatu destroyed the boundaries between the spirit world and the physical world, so now spirits are just free to roam and do whatever they want on Earth. Because the spirits were just running amok, humans uh, moved to live on the back of giant lion turtles. Each lion turtle could control an element, the four elements of the show, water, earth, fire, air. Humans would leave the lion turtles to go hunt for food, and while they were gone, the lion turtle would give them the ability to temporarily temporarily bend whatever element that lion turtle possessed so during this time a young man named juan was playing robin hood and he got caught and he was banished from his lion turtle society civilization for good um but the lion turtle like felt bad so he gave him the ability to keep his firebending and juan found a dragon and mastered firebending and creating the Dancing Dragon technique that Aang and Zuko learned from the Sun Warriors almost 20,000 years later. That's just a fun little tidbit. Um, One day, Wan finds two spirits fighting, and it ends up being Rava and Vatu. And he gets in the middle of the fight, and Vatu wins. Uh, Wan feels guilty for having cost Rava the fight, and now... You know, disrupting the balance of everything. Uh, he offers to let Rava possess his body, and during the next harmonic convergence, he challenges Vatu in the name of Rava, and Juan's spirit merges with Rava, creating the first avatar. So, that's how all that happens. There's a little bit more to that story, but basically all you that's all you need to know for this to make sense. So, Aang goes and finds a lion turtle and he meditates on the back of it, you know, in the like little forest thing that lives on its back and he talks to his past lives to try to get a better understanding on how to handle an Ozai and none of them can give him an answer other than kill him, including Avatar Yang Chen who was an, an airbender and also an avatar that I personally would love to hear more about, but that's, that's for a different time. Aang wakes up the next day and realizes that this, like, island thing that he's on is moving, so he dives into the water, and he learns that he's not on an island, he's on a lion turtle. He asks the lion turtle for help, and the lion turtle, I'm not really sure if he gives Aang the ability to energy bend, or if he just, like, awakens a part of, you know, that, like, like, like opening a, a new chakra or something that, like, gives him the ability to bend i don't really know how that works but like in the show the lion turtle just like touches ang like his head oh hello i said touch too like hard and it scared the cat The, the the lion turtle just like touches him like on his head and his chest and it gives him the ability to energy bend or whatever the ability or the like again i don't know how that works but whatever now he's got this new power and we're we're ready for this fight so we don't know it yet, but that power that the lion turtle gave Aang gave him the ability to take someone's bending away. But the part that gets me and what I wanted to talk about was the fact that the the lion turtle that Aang encountered is a fire lion turtle. I'm assuming that there's more than one lion turtle capable of bending each element, but like I don't know that for sure because again, I haven't read the comics. So either this is just a bending lion turtle or it's the fire bending lion turtle that gave uh, Wan, his firebending. Juan, who went to on to become the first Avatar. The lion turtles essentially passed on their duty to protect humans onto the Avatar. So this lion turtle has seen the destruction of humanity at the hands of the Fire Nation in the last hundred years. Um, this lion turtle, who wields this element, has seen it be twisted into something awful, because in the, you know, in the episode where Aang and Zuko learn firebending from the dragons, they learn that it's not a source of It's not supposed to be, like, a source of rage and anger like the Fire Nation has twisted it to be, but it's actually a source of, like, light and life. And the lion turtles have been watching this stuff happen for hundreds or maybe thousands of years, and it finally came to an end because of this lion turtle. So I saw this Tumblr post, and I knew it meant something when I first saw it, but I couldn't really figure out what, and it was like... Two or three in the morning, and we had just finished watching the finale, and I suddenly remembered that Wan was a firebender. So the lion turtle that gave the ability to firebend now gives Aang the ability to take it away. And I think up until this point, no avatar had had that kind of power. Um, I think it still might be reserved for the lion turtles, but I don't really know. I'm just assuming. And I've talked about the legacy that Aang wanted to leave and how he didn't want his legacy to be that he killed Ozai. He put so much effort into finding another way. He was willing to do almost anything to not have to take his life. He stayed true to his values and his morals, and he didn't have to compromise just because he was the Avatar. And in return, I think Aang left the best legacy of any Avatar Certainly better than Korra, in my opinion, but, you know, not that that matters, because, again, I've seen the timeline video, I know what happens, I just haven't seen the whole series, just throwing that out there. So, like, Aang leaves this, like, great, wonderful legacy, and then Korra happens. So, just, you know, meh. <laughs> I don't like where it's going. Like, I know, I know where it's going, I just, I don't like it. So I could go on for a while about how good the animation is through this whole show, especially the finale. But again, there are people who are much more qualified to talk about that kind of stuff than I am. But I love the way that this show is animated. I think it's beautiful. I love the fight between Aang and Ozai. I think it's done so well. There's a certain charm to animated projects like Avatar... Um, I don't know that it was sketched by hand, certainly not all of it, if it was, but I know that they had martial artists come in and create the different styles of bending that the animators used to, uh, you know, for the different bending styles, they had different styles of martial arts, and that's, I think that's really cool. There's something really neat about having characters that are so human exist in a world that's so fantastic. I've already talked about the fact that during this wash-through, everything made me super emotional. I only really cried in a few parts, but a lot of parts made me tear up. Uh, but the scene that always, always makes me cry, other than leaves from the vine, because that gets that gets everybody, um, is the scene where Zuko finds Iroh and tries to apologize. They find the like camp of the old people, the Order of the White Lotus, and he he starts out and he says, I'm so sorry and ashamed of what I did. And then Iroh like, grabs him by the shoulder and pulls him in for a hug. And he says, I was never angry. I was sad because I thought you lost your way. And like thinking about that at different points during the series, like when Iroh is trying to convince Zuko, um, like, what do you want your life to be about? And like, Iroh, Iroh knows that he's capable of making the right decision. He just has to make Zuko see it. It's... Mm. But anyway, that scene where they hug always hits me super, super hard. Um, The line and the hug. I'm so glad they put the hug in there because that conveys so much more than any words ever could. Sometimes scenes don't need a lot of dialogue. If you have good characters and the audience is invested in the story, something like a hug is so much more powerful than words. So I want to talk very briefly about the last few scenes of the show. Uh, Zuko's coronation, the tea shop, And then the most satisfying kiss in all of animation history. So we've just got a few more things that we're going to talk about. Uh, Zuko's coronation scene feels like the end of an era. It's the end of the war, officially. Technically, the war was over when Aang defeated Ozai, but this scene feels like the first time that the characters in the show can really breathe a sigh of relief. Everything is over. Zuko is crowned the new Fire Lord, and all of our friends and allies are there to witness it. There's a really great moment where Aang and Zuko hug before they walk out to face the crowd, and I love that. I love hugs. Hugs are so important. The second to last scene of the show features the gang in Iroh's tea shop hanging out for what may be the last time, at least for a while. Sokka is trying to paint a picture to remember everyone how they are in this moment, and honestly the whole thing feels really melancholy to me. Something about it feels like this is the last time that they're all going to be together like this. Zuko's the Fire Lord, Aang is going to have a lot of duties to fulfill as the Avatar, Sokka and Katara are probably going to want to go home, at least for a little bit, and we know that eventually Aang and Zuko go on to found Republic City, but there's a gap of time in between now and then where anything could happen. The main force that brought them all together isn't a threat anymore, um, and I'm kind of the person who hates goodbyes, so like I understand Sokka wanting to remember this moment and capture it forever, even if he isn't a good artist, because same, I feel that, I feel that bro. In the final scene of the final episode, Aang and Katara sneak away to have a moment alone and when they're totally alone after everything they've been through over the last few months and everything they've sacrificed to be here, they hug and again, yo, I love hugs. I love this hug especially because before they're anything else, Aang and Katara are friends and that's why their relationship is so strong because it's based on real, authentic friendship. There's so many moments from the show where I see glimpses into what I imagine that their relationship or marriage is like really early on. Um, there's a scene, I can't remember exactly what's happening, but Aang jumps onto Appa's back as they're flying away, and he and Katara kind of huddle together in the back of the like the saddle that's on the back of Appa, and Aang tells her that he's okay. Just like, little moments like that in the episode the headband where they're living in the fire nation and they host a dance party ang and katara dance together and katara gets nervous and ang says to just focus on him and i love how in sync they are the whole time the whole world just like fades away and it's just them and that was towards the end so those kind of moments are few and far between but to have just like a little quiet really intimate moment like that was really cute i liked it a lot or in the finale, when Aang is frustrated because he can't think of a way to win this fight in the way that he is going to feel good about it, um, he yells and says that none of them understands the position that he's in, and Katara says, we're just trying to help. And then he says, then when one of you figures out a way for me to defeat the Fire Lord without taking his life, I'd love to hear it. And Katara tells him not to walk away because he just like gets mad and storms away. And honestly, in this moment, like Aang has a reason to be... Frustrated. I don't think that Aang and Katara would ever have any huge blowout fights. I think this is a very like specific instance because Aang personally is under a lot of pressure as the Avatar and also as an Air Nomad trying to make this big decision that he that goes against everything he believes in. But if they did get into a big fight like that, I think that this is kind of how it would end. Aang seems way more introverted, and it feels like he would need time to figure out whatever's happening on his own. Like he. I need to go check out for a second to, like, process what's happening. And then he would come back and they'd be able to, like, discuss the, like, plan of action or whatever it is. He has a pretty calm demeanor for the most part, but when he gets mad, he needs to walk away. And that's what... I imagine that a lot of their, like, early relationship would be like that, where they'd be fighting over something and Aang would be like, I just need a second. I need to walk away. I need to cool off. I imagine that's how that would be. (laughs) So they hug because they're friends. And, like, I'm okay with the hug because, again, I love hugs, but then... Then they kiss, and it's the most satisfying kiss in all of animation because, like, the war is over and there's still some unknowns, but there isn't a threat of the comet looming over them, so now they can focus more on, like, a romantic relationship. Is there anything in Korra or, like, any of the comics that talk about how Aang proposed? Because that's something. I, like, I hope that's something that's mentioned somewhere because I need to know if that's something that. I need to know how that happens. I would love. Just like a little one-off story about that. And so with all of that, the war is over. Everyone has fulfilled their own destiny, their own role within this this thing that's happening. And now they can begin the rest of their lives. Zuko and Aang eventually go on to found Republic City. Toph starts a police force. Sokka becomes chief of the water, the Southern Water Tribe. Iroh gets his tea shop. And Aang and Katara get married and have three kids. And that's, that's how the series ends. That's not how the series ends. The series ends with Ang and Katara kissing. All that other stuff is stuff that we find out in retrospect in Korra, like as they look back on their lives. If you somehow still haven't seen this show, I highly recommend that you give it a watch. It's seriously one of my top 10 favorite shows of all time, animated or otherwise. Great characters, great world, amazing music, awesome themes of morality and responsibility throughout the whole thing. 10 out of 10, amazing show. If you're in the U.S., it's on Netflix right now. Please go watch it before the live-action version comes out because I have a feeling now that it's just going to be trash. So the animated version is so worth it. That's all I've got for this week. If you have thoughts about this show or any of the shows that I'd cover on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Head over to Twitter and follow at Kelby underscore cartoons for updates about future episodes and all other forms of cartoon-related chaos. We have a Facebook page now, too, so be sure to go like the podcast over on Facebook. I'm also always looking for new cartoons to watch. I might not get to it right away, but like eventually I I will watch it and maybe cover it on the podcast. So I'd love to hear any recommendations for any cartoons. I hope you plan to watch the show that I covered this week. Thanks for listening, and happy Saturday, or whatever day it is, whenever you're listening. Happy whatever, and happy binging.